Welcome to another episode of 12 Rows Back, where we bring you footy talk from the fans' perspective. Uh, I'm not operating solo tonight, but Tom is off on his honeymoon, happily married. Uh, beautiful wedding down there uh, on the peninsula over the weekend. So congratulations to Tom and Beck. I'm actually here with Pat, who is a diehard, can you say diehard? Diehard West Coast Eagles supporter. Pat, how are you going tonight? G'day, Seb. I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. And Tom, congratulations. Pleasure, mate. Last week was a little, it was a different style, operating solo, and I enjoyed it, but I think it works a little bit better having someone to bounce my ideas off and, and potentially put me in my place if I uh, want to tell you just how well the kangaroos are running. And I've actually <laughs> I've actually had someone down at training on Friday uh, who's given me little bit of inside word on, on how North are traveling. And uh, if you ask him, we're probably going to finish in the eight, which uh, might be might be a little bit ambitious, but uh, look, lots of positivity down there at Arden Street. Now, Pat, you grew up watching, obviously had the, the early 90s year of, of the Eagles where a couple of flags in there and then hit the Ben Cousins era and let's stay on field when we talk about Ben. He was an out-and-out champion. My goodness, that man, without a doubt, was my hero growing up. Um, unfortunately, yeah, drugs drugs are very, very bad. Um, but as an AFL footballer, I think he was like, geez, you know, at the end of his career, I think he was number eight all-time Brownlow medal votes ever. You know, I think um, Gary Ablett and likes to come along. He might be about number 15 now, but, yeah, like, Back, geez, you know, 2007, out-and-out out superstar. Dustin Martin came along. He was a rookie. Ben Cousins there. He was the old season professional, took him under his wing. And and I had Dustin Martin in my super coach for about three years, and the bloke just wouldn't fire, and I got rid of him. And now, yeah, now he's an out-and-out out legend. But, um, yeah, interesting time. Interesting time to watch footy. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. So you've experienced a lot more success i guess from your team's point of view than a lot a lot of other teams some of those melbourne teams that have been in a drought over a number of years so i'm hoping you'll give us a different outlook on things as obviously tom's got a very positive st kilda mind and and go saints but i haven't had the, <laughs> the best of luck in in the in the uh in the premiership sort of stakes over the last 20 years the eternal uh, optimist now you would have been as a north melbourne fan very much an eternal optimist, but I guess you grew up with the Wayne Carey years where you just you would have expected premierships, wouldn't you? Yeah, looking back, we should. When, when did you get your premierships? 12, 14, 15? Eight, I was, uh, I was eight and 11. Eight and 11. Just when you start, it's just like, yep, this is how football works. Yeah, every year we were playing in a prelim final from when I was six to when I was 13. Yeah, That's... and then, yeah, the club sort of fell apart. And then we built back up with Dean Laley. And then and now, now as a 30, oh my, 32, it, I just realized just how hard they are to bloody win. So I can still at least look back on those years with very fondly. And uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, I think people still underappreciate just how hard it is to win a flag. And they want to downplay and call last year to, I think if Brisbane won the flag, they would have had a big asterisk against it saying, oh, 
everything was up in Queensland. It was too easy. Um, they got all these home games and, and then, you know, you talk to a Richmond supporter and ask them how they won in 2017 and 2019. True, true. Like. The, so, exactly, exactly. Brisbane was Victoria for one year. You know, they got to have everything on their own terms and took Richmond a long time to get up and over. So, yeah, very good point. That's it. And the Brisbane of 2004 could have won the four in a row, I reckon, if they didn't play that prelim in Melbourne, um, finishing top two. But that's a story for another day, or I think I actually went into it last week. Um, Now, there's been a lot of talk about this new man in the mark rule that Steve Hawking's brought in. Um, Yeah, Sam, I'm really glad you brought that up because I don't understand it. I've heard it. But do you actually understand what it is that this rule is? Like, what, what is the difference? What are they doing? So you take a mark, and, th- and that's the spot where the player is supposed to stand. Now, he's not allowed to go over that point, but previously he was allowed to run east-west, so along horizontally, effectively, across the field. What, they cut the line where he's going to kick. Yeah. So basically those 45 kicks inwards and outwards, they would instinctively go more or less towards the corridor. So if you marked on the wing, the player on the mark would run to the mark and then run towards the middle of the ground. So you're more likely to kick it down the line to the boundary line or keep okay. it on that side of the field. So now Inside you have, rather than fat side. That's it. Now you have to stand still on the mark. It's been there's been a little bit of footage that's come out from some intra club games. There's one down at Essendon. Um, I think involving Darcy Parish. You, you watch it and the player's got the ball and they start running slightly off to the right, their right footer. And the player on the mark instinctively moves to the, his left, which is obviously the player with the ball's right. And it's 50 metres. And if you've got a mark anywhere with inside the, the centre square, that's a shot on goal. And there's some absolute uh, hysteria coming through about how it's a bad look, how the penalty's too harsh. Um, all this sort of stuff, and you've just people have to take a step back, right? These players have been playing footy, even if they've just been drafted this year, they've been playing 10 years of footy where you're allowed to run east west on the mark. Now, the mark's never been well adjudicated, and now we're suddenly got this really harsh rule where you have to run up and stand still. Coaches, from what I've heard, don't like the rule because it makes it easier to attack and slice through the defense which is why the rules brought in we just need to stop and let the rule breathe for four just give it four to six weeks these guys are professionals they'll learn what they can and can't do they'll get used to it and we're going to have some howlers i can tell i'm just waiting for round one carlton richmond um hopefully we get mm-hmm. a close game and then there's going to be an offender i'd guess from carlton because they're more undisciplined but he's just going to run up it's a tight game. He's going to run left. Oh, no, no, that's 50. That's 50. There'll be a shot on goal. You'll have Blues fans ringing in wanting to burn down the AFL. Um, but the, look, it's a new rule. We're just going to have to work with it and adapt to it. Uh, when the rule for the protected area came in, I'm pretty sure Carlton got four 50-meter penalties in that first game from Richmond encroaching the protected Oh, I remember area. that. Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah. So... I hope it, I can see it going the other way and Carlton fans, you know, short memory. Um, but I think the rule ultimately will have the desired effect. In terms I, of- I, I like it, Seb. I, I just want to throw in there, like, 
that's something you can adjudicate at under 12s, under 14s, under 16s level. And I think the AFL needs to move more towards rules that are appropriate for junior, for, for all levels of football, not for elite levels of football. They need to be simple and easy to adjudicate because I feel that's our biggest problem. We, we have so much variation in interpretation. If you've got clean cut rules for a 14 year old or a 12 year old, then it should be clean cut for a 24 year old. Yeah, they need to remove the interpretation and the grey area out of these rules um, and have them more clear-cut. You can't always do that, but if you're starting to bring them in, have them crystal clear. And this one is pretty clear. You can run up, stand the mark. You can't run east-west till the umpire's called play on. Um, the one part I can see being difficult, and I don't know how they're going to do this, but they do have three umpires. If you've taken a mark and you push back 10, 15 metres, how's the umpire watching both sets of feet at the same time to work out when to call play on versus when to pay a 50-metre penalty? Will they get the non-officiating umpire in the defensive end to watch the player with the ball? Um, I don't know how they're going to do it. And I can see lots of times where they're going to pay a 50 and Channel 7 will get a nice slow-mo replay and show, oh, look, the player with the ball had taken two steps but the umpire hadn't called play on, so it's 50. And they're going to dissect it. And the reality is that's not how you see it in real time. And the players need to, like, you play to the whistle and you wait for the umpire's call. And and if you get it late, well, you get it late. But um, it's going to be interesting how they actually apply it to, to the games. I like it. I like it. All right. So one thing I'm really keen to do this year is get back to the footy. Um, I do like to attend where I can. Uh, lots of North home games there at, uh, at Marvel. And we've got the reserve seats on level two, which are beautiful. They've still made no announcement about crowds. And obviously it's up to each state government, but I would have thought, I know they will have a plan because what we're about three weeks away from round one. If they, they're not going to announce it, but they need to get people in to the stadiums it was it was a little bit of a dead atmosphere in some of those games especially the first sort of five weeks in melbourne with no crowd um i suspect there's 25 to 50 percent capacity in victoria um but do you see it changing state to state week to week um well, yeah, this is the reality, isn't it? And cricket, I think, has borne that and um, even the, the end of the AFL season. And coronavirus, is, how long is a piece of string? Who knows? It's, it's a real... Look, all I want to do is be able to go along to the footy, have a couple of pies, a couple of beers, you know, and just experience the crowd. That's the best thing about football is the crowd. But, um, I, yeah, I, I hope I hope this year we can do that. They'll... Surely they'll have to start getting people back in. I know it's not their biggest source of revenue, but it still is a revenue source having even 20, 30, 40,000. Um, they won't get those. I doubt they're going to go for those big MCG crowds where you know, you've know you got your two Carlton Collingwoods, Anzac Day crowds um, selling out. But who knows? April 25th is about two months away. Um I'm sure the AFL is going to be pushing to get 75,000 in for that game. Um, but I saw, I read this on the age and they had it broken down. If you had 50% capacity at the MCG and let's just talk round one, 
Carlton Richmond. Um, yeah. It will be broken down with the MCC with a capacity. The MCC has got its a capacity itself of 22,700. So they'd have just over 11,000. The AFL members, which is normally 22,000, would be another 11,000. And they've estimated about 2,000 corporate tickets. So that's about 24,000. 25,000, which would mean the other 25,000 will go out to the club members. My understanding is the home team, both playing at a home ground in, in one way, one of them has mm. the home fixture. Those members yeah. will get access to about 67%, two thirds of those tickets, and then the rest will go to the other club's members. Whatever doesn't get sold within the first 24 hours then goes to general admission. So it's a pretty good indicator if you haven't already, go and get a club membership because you need that to be effectively in the draw to get tickets. Um, North Melbourne sent something out to me about signing up and you've got a virtual ticket and you get codes and all this sort of stuff to go in and, and get the tickets. And obviously they've got different tiers of memberships where three games, five games, seven game, 11 game, you know, there's I think gold, silver and bronze and every club calls them differently. Um, I, I think it's just, it's important for footy fans to get back to the footy um, and, and have that a, that experience again uh, it was definitely a different year last year i guess the public health safety I, I think that's going to be a big talking point and they're going to go almost week on week on this sort of stuff yeah i, I think the afl are going to be over, overly cautious all the way through though all signs are pointing <laughs> in the right direction for for crowds to come back and if they're talking 25 to 50% capacity um you want your home games to be at the mcg versus at marvel uh, that's, you know, 50% of the G is 50,000, whereas 50% of Marvel is 25. And once you throw yeah, in the, the corporate stuff, that gets cut cut down significantly. Um, I know Hawthorne requested year on year to have no home games at Marvel. They got one this year. Uh, you know, there's things like that where they're not, it's not their official home ground. And I think, I think Carlton are the same. I think they end up playing one home game at, at Marvel. Um, but we're definitely moving in the right direction. Um, I think that first weekend of games will sell out pretty quick. Um, I'm just glad we're playing an interstate club uh, at Marvel. But if it was a North or playing the Bombers or something like that, you'd want to be first in best dressed um, to get seats yeah. and get tickets and, and get in. Another little thing that did the rounds, and I'm not sure where or what demographic of people are really concerned about this, but they're no longer having Thursday night team announcements, um, which used to be a really big deal. And obviously the footy show was founded on the back of having those announcements on a Thursday because they did the whole variety show and could read out the teams. I've heard a few people carrying on, but it seems to be old timers on the radio and the simple fact is they're carrying on because they've had this thing for years where Thursday night we get the teams, Thursday night we get the teams. It doesn't this work like that works. anymore. That It works at local footy where you are going to have all your games on Saturday. And so after training on Thursday, you announce your teams, everyone stays around for a feed and a beer and they all go home at nine o'clock. That makes perfect sense. But we've got games on Thursday night. So those teams would have to be announced prior to that. We've got games on Friday night, Saturday, Sunday afternoon, Sunday night uh, with the festival of footy they ran through. We've got games all through the week. So it, the writing was on the wall last year and the, the clubs 
I think there was a record low number of late changes because, because clubs didn't have to announce a team on the Thursday or even on the Friday for the Sunday games where Thursday they'd have a squad, Friday they'd have the team and then come Sunday there'd be a late change due to weather or waiting for a player to get up from injury because these things are game time decisions. So I, I think it's a step in the right direction. I've just heard people not so much carrying on but saying, oh, it's, a, it's the death of another tradition in football and you know, if you've listened to me on this podcast before, I'm all for the death of some of these classic things that yeah. make the game, but don't really make the game. They're just part of the experience people have had for 30 years. Well, well Seb, I will ask you this question. I think one of the biggest traditions of AFL is going to be your footy tipping comps. But how do I put my footy tipping, my footy tips in on Friday night before I go home from work when the team hasn't even been announced? And I don't know. If um, who's Tony Lockett or bloody you know Buddy Franklin or such equivalent, whether he's playing or not, you know, or, or Paddy Dangerfield. So how, can I ask how you how you, out. how you do footy tipping? Well, I'd, I'd tip based on the team available. You know, I'd be yeah, tipping what, all along you, with this team's going to beat this team. Do you get the footy fixtures from Ray White? I know they like to hand it out. There's a bit of free promo. Do you log in online? How do you how do you do it? Oh, in the workplace. Yeah, but, you know, you like a workplace where you fill out your footy tips before you go home on a Friday night. Like just I don't know. That's, that's just like country level values, isn't it? It is, but look. So you're saying the log in rather than well, I'm saying most a lot of competitions straight. are online, so you can log in at any point and update your tip when you hear that info. There will still be some comps, often the ones that are run at the pub. You've got to submit your tips at the pub and you get a free pot every week and stuff like that. So you, you've got some incentive to come in and submit your tips. Uh, everyone's in the same boat in that regard. So, look, we can, when you get the teams and they announce Dangerfield's in the team, but then he's a late out anyway, what's the difference between just not announcing the team till two days later? Well, you think you got a lot more optimism about them being in or out. Like it's, yeah, and I guess it's the smoke and mirrors. I don't know, but yeah, well, I'm just playing devil's advocate there. But I just think that that's the beauty of having a team's named on Thursday. Who's playing who? Friday, I put my tips in. Life's good. Yeah, look, I hadn't thought of it from that point. Lying is the second language of football, and they should actually have some more transparency <laughs> around injuries. So, to take it back to the NFL. I think every day they have to update their injury report and they've got four statuses. They've got out, doubtful, questionable, and probable. And each one, if you just split it into 100%, out is obviously they're 100% out. Doubtful is they're 75% chance of missing. Questionable is a 50% chance of missing. 75, 50, 25. Probable is a 25% chance of missing. So more likely to play. So like, look, they can still lie on that front, but it's becoming a really big deal because gambling's taking off over there and they need the information to be key, accurate and up to date. And with, with the NFL, if you had a quarterback in particular who was carrying an injury, if, if, you know, if Tom Brady goes from likely to play to not likely that moves the margin, that moves the spread. And that's a big deal. We don't have that level of transparency over here. If you've got your footy tipping comps and stuff like that, this would affect that that sort of thing, and this at least at least be a way to go around it. So when you're putting your tips in, you can see the level, 
the actual assessment from the clubs rather than, yep, he's got a hamstring, there's a test or whatever the case may be. There's not that much info given out from from the AFL and from the clubs in particular. And I know Geelong were big proponents of the late change. I think there was one stage, it was two years ago, I think it was around 11 and they made 10 late changes. Like, I don't know if some were mind games, if some were legitimate. Um, but I think the less of that we have, the more certainty you have from a fan's point of view. So I don't see it as a big deal, but there are going to be some who any change is a negative thing. Uh, I think we certainly need to embrace a little bit more of it. Seb? Yeah, sure. I, was just, I just want to throw up. Um, Alistair Clarkson, crazy, been out in the, during the week. Um, he throws out a lot of different stuff, you know, post-season. Like, you know, you can cloud where Hawthorne's going to go. But he, he made some really interesting suggestions about another two new clubs to enter the AFL. Um Tasmania and, and Northern Territory. Um, I'm wondering what you what your thoughts are on you know the potential of another two clubs and specifically Tassie and uh, DNT. Love the idea. The execution of it right now would be very dicey. Uh, and they were actually doing been talking a fair bit about Tassie because obviously the state government it was a little bit prompted because the government said, hey, we don't want to extend our existing deals with North Melbourne and Hawthorne. We want an actual team down here and we want to support that. So firstly, anytime Clarko talks, I always wonder what he really, what's really motivating him. And he's putting the attention that was on Hawthorne with the state government back onto the AFL. Like it's genius, but he's deflecting attention away from his club who I think will have a rough year. Uh, but in terms of adding two new, new teams, I just don't see how the competition's ready for it, given Gold Coast effectively still haven't gotten off the ground. Um, and GWS have, but are still just losing talent rapidly year on year. Adding two teams dilutes the talent too far. I, I just don't think we can do it. I think this could be revisited in another 10 years, which will be roughly 20 years after Gold Coast and GWS were brought in. Um but I heard today, in terms of the rights deal, which I think brings in about 70% of the AFL's net revenue, adding an extra game wouldn't really get you that much extra money from Seven and Fox. So, okay. And I think that's because you've got nine games currently. They pay, I think it was a couple of billion dollars over five years. But Channel 7 you know, flex their muscles and, and pick and choose the best games and try and push for the better ones on the Thursday and Friday nights and stuff like that. And Fox are happy to take the rest because they know they get all the hardcore footy fans. Fox don't probably really care whether they get four games or five games or whatever. They don't need to have six and slot another one in somewhere else where it's not really going to be adding anything extra to the Foxtel package. Mm. Um, they just need to be the home of footy, have everything guaranteed. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's all they need to facilitate. Well, look, I'm I'm super excited. I've always been a big proponent, like being an interstate supporter, a West Coast man, and also look, growing up in the Northern Territory, I have a little bit of a bias towards the Northern Territory. I've, I've long thought to make a national competition, you do need the um, Tassie and the NT team, and it was music to my ears. Look, I'll throw out you, like you put in another two teams, then you got twenty teams, then you throw in two divisions, the VFL. 
and the AFL. The AFL, everything that's not Victoria, the VFL, the 10 teams that are Victoria. You kind of take on an American mould. That's an interesting thing. Um, I think it works on so many levels. I take your point that you dilute your talent levels. But, geez, the NT, the Northern Territory put forward some players. Like, it's just, uh, what have we got? The Burgoynes, the Riolis, the Longs, uh, the Motlops. I mean, you just, that, I think they would comfortably field a very successful, skillful team. I've got no doubt both states are ready to have a team. I don't think adding in 19 and 20 right now is the right thing to do. I think moving two teams out of Melbourne makes the most sense in that front. Because let me tell you about one of the most successful sporting franchises ever. Um, the team I played my junior football for, um, St. Mary's. St. Mary's Saints up in Darwin. St. Mary's Footy Club came into the NPFL in 1952. 67 seasons. In 67 seasons, they've won 32 premierships. Oh, geez. In 67 seasons, they've been in the finals 64 times. They've been in the grand final 50 times. Now, that is just absolutely ridiculous. Out of the St. Mary's Footy Club, you've got Michael Long, Mo Long, my under-8s footy coach. Yeah. Mickey Long's older brother. The Riolis, the Motlops, um, the Burgoynes. Uh, Michael McLean wasn't, Andrew McLeod wasn't, Nathan Buckley wasn't. I think they were probably the only three players out of the NTFL's team of the Century to play AFL who weren't St. Mary's born. Obviously, you know, when you've got a club that's successful, you're just going to dominate that type of stuff. But St. Mary's Saints, I believe, would be a good NTFL. Or you could have the Darwin Thunder or something. But St. Kilda Saints become the St. Mary's Saints, relocate up and take on all that talent. Wow. Yeah, I'd love to see that. I think that's the right thing to do if you move the team. If you were to bring in a team up there, don't just start the Darwin Thunder. Bring in like St. Mary's, the most successful team up there and, and grant them a license like they did with Port Adelaide. Who? Well, I wish... See, there was a big debacle about that. Port Adelaide should have taken Adelaide's license. The AFL tried to line that up and then the SANFL came in and canned that. Yeah, they so did. that's... Politics, which is unfortunate, but yeah, Port Adelaide should have been the team. Yep, yep, uh, yeah, and then they obviously came in. Oh, what seven, eight years later? Um, I can't remember the exact figure, but look, I I think that's a great idea. Um, and look, I do also reckon, do you reckon now that Eddie's gone that Port Adelaide will be able to get the prison prison bars back? Eddie might be gone, but I still think Eddie will run a lot of things down at that club. Like, Eddie's gone, but all the people who were supportive of him are still there in those positions of power. Uh, yeah. I, I Well, look, the AFL might actually be able to have a spine and come in and, and tell Collingwood what they're going to do rather than Collingwood telling the AFL we're not going to do that. Um, yeah, in terms of jumper clashes, the AFL should have a much stricter policy rather than the sort of, oh, this is okay, but this isn't... Um, I know Tom has strong thoughts on the jumper clashes. So I've never met someone who has as strong thoughts as he does on that. Uh, look, I want to jump back very quickly to your point. You mentioned having potentially divisions or conferences in the AFL. I love the idea and I think it would work. 
except with the 10 teams in Victoria, nine teams in Victoria, if that's just one conference on its own and you end up playing those teams more often, isn't the travel advantage too big for those teams? That's a good point. I never thought of that. I, but I, I just love the AFL and the VFL, two separate things. And yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. That's travel, the, travel needs to be inherent in every club's season. Yep. Yep. I, the, the, you could still split it, though, and have sort of your two Perth teams, your two Adelaide teams. If you're doing it now, then you'd end up with four from Victoria. Sorry, you five from Victoria, and then you have your two Queensland, your two uh, New South Wales, and then the other five from Victoria and split it like that. Um, it can be done, and it would potentially help with the fixturing because obviously you've got a 22-game season and 18 or 17 doesn't go into 22 in any way, shape, or form. But, yeah, it's uh, I, I love the idea, and I think, if they really want to be the AFL and a national competition, they need sides in both of these states. You know, they're not, they put another side in Sydney and Queensland for the money and they're not football states. Whereas no. you've already reeled off all the great um, family, families of football players, not just individuals, but families coming from Darwin. Uh, you flip down to Tassie, you've got a Rewaltz, you've got Matthew Richardson, uh, Taron Thomas, Hudson. Hudson. Peter Hudson kicked 150 goals in the season. Yep, yep. They're, these are places that know football and have been part of football for years, just haven't been given a team for whatever reason. Uh, and I should have done more research on this, but the same sort of thing happened with Shield cricket, and they wouldn't give Tasmania a Shield side for years and years and years. And then they did it, and suddenly it became a really... Uh, Became a big thing, and I think you'll find there's a high percentage of players in the Australian Test team that are Tasmanian, and I think you'll David find Burn selector um, Tim Payne, Ricky Ponting, Rick, one of yeah. the greatest players yeah. of all time, like Tazzy. Yeah, Ricky Ponting, Tim Payne, two Australian Matty captains. Ray. Like they were resistant, and they finally did it, and it just made sense. And the AFL's been resistant for so long. Let's hope Nick Rewalt gets on his gets on the case and starts pushing to to get a team down there because I, I think it'd be really good. And I've been down there to the footy uh, to watch North play. It was a great experience. They just need a home team, and people will travel from Victoria to go and watch them. It's a forty five minute flight. You stay overnight, stay for a weekend, come back. Uh, it'll definitely the team down there will definitely pick up, um, and I dare say Darwin will be the same. I mean, they're playing a couple of games up there. In the NT, Melbourne sort of take one up there every year. I think they took two last year thanks to COVID. So why wouldn't you? The crowds won't be big in Darwin because they've got a a limited capacity. But AFL rights, you know, you've got your TV. But the talent, I truly believe that the Indigenous talent that would be very prevalent in a Darwin side would make them like the Harlem Globetrotters. They might not win games, but they will be an absolute delight to watch. Oh, I 100% agree. And the the capacity for crowds might not be there now, but if you've got an AFL team that plays there, oh, geez, all right, well, we better start upgrading and developing and, and it'll go. You will then get your 20,000, then they'll upgrade to try and get 30 and they'll just gradually do it. 
if there's no AFL team there, they're not going to start developing and, and putting money into a stadium when they get one game a year. No, that's very true, actually. I lived in Queensland for 20-odd uh, years, and um, the Queensland government, tourism Queensland, was a big push behind the Gold Coast Suns getting their licence, a big push behind providing the stadium, and then the Commonwealth Games came through. And, yeah, if tourism Northern Territory took it on, you know, you could get all these Victorian flying up every year, every week, all the way through, you know, the winter to come and watch their club play. Like, it's a real boom to the economy, which I hate. I hate it being about business and the dollar, but that's what the AFL is. So, yeah. you got to make good. Yeah, that's what their last expansion was. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the plan needs to be put in place this time. That money will talk and, and control a lot of it, but... I think five to 10 years is a realistic timeline to try and get that off the ground. Uh, and look, the state government, with the state government's threats down in Tassie to say, hey, we're not going to extend the deals of Hawthorne and North Melbourne. Um, and I understand it's about a million dollars a game. So I think that's about seven to eight million they're putting into both clubs total, which would then be redirected to a football team going down there. And suddenly it just, it'll start snowballing if they do it. And I don't see a reason why they can't in 10 years. I think right now getting recovering from COVID is probably the priority and talent pool isn't quite there yet. But maybe you just sort of... Look, maybe the talent pool wasn't quite there 10 years ago either when these sides came in, to be honest, given their first few years' results. Uh, but look... That's... Uh, look. That, that's an interesting um, topic. Like, is it the talent pool or is it culture? I feel the whole AFL was drained or those two clubs were drained because they didn't have a culture. And then, like, I would throw out that Kevin Sheedy established a winning culture in the GWS, whereas Gold Coast didn't have that kind of culture. And that's why we see the difference. I don't know. Yeah, but could be right. But look, they definitely both approached it with different ideas and beliefs. Uh, GWS went all the younger players with a few established veterans in the last year of their careers, whereas Gold Coast went very much a mix and they paid Ablett an enormous sum and he went up there and just played... I was going to say he just played footy. He played exceptional footy, but all he was doing was playing footy. He wasn't putting back into the club. And that, when he left... There was well, I do believe that he was holding prayer meetings, and like he was an out-and-out out Christian nutter, and he would and, and he split the club in half because half the club would go to his prayer meetings because they wanted to be part of Gary Ablett, and then you had the Harley Bells who wanted to go out and do drugs on the weekend, and just the Wild Boys, you know, and go and party. And um, whilst I'm not an advocate for that, uh, being a big West Coast supporter, you know, being Cousins fan, and Chris Charles book. He, he articulated extremely well. When you've got a group of young alpha males who are going to test the limits because they're the most successful alpha males, that's what wins premierships. You've got guys who are going to just absolutely test every line. So if you've got a bunch of submissive guys, you're not going to have a winning footy club. And that's probably what happened with the Gold Coast and they probably chased out you know, those guys who would have given them a character. You know, the Jason Ackermanises, which made Brisbane great, 
you know, you, you, you need a combination of all. Yep, yep. And I, I think that gets a little bit overlooked. And I think teams are quick to move off those players now if they're not going so well. Whereas, yeah, I've mentioned it before. I think they're becoming they're becoming robots, some of these players, because that's what this just gets drilled into them from the moment they're drafted to when they start actually playing in the senior side within two or three years. They're just drilled down to be robots. Well, Seb, um, I don't want to talk about Essendon, but Johnny Worsfold got let go because he believed that players should be professional enough to take care of themselves and go and do it. And apparently um, the players wanted someone who was going to drill them and make them accountable and this and that. And I think that's exactly right. Like, are they robots that need to be shaped into a certain way or are they personalities and you need a guy who can manage personalities? What What are your thoughts on that? You've got to marry, you've got to manage the personalities. Every player is different. You have similar types of players, similar styles of players. Uh, some like to train hard, some don't. It, look, whatever your mix is, the coach's job is to get the best out of each individual player. And I remember that's actually taught as part of the coaching courses you can do with the AFL. Your job is to get the best out of your players. Now, Mick Moldhouse was a genius at it. And he used to know, I've got to let Swanee off the leash because I've got to let Swanee do his thing. Whereas like, yeah, if you have someone yeah. like Pendlebury, you might have to sit on him a little bit more. Not so much because he's pack. likely to go off, but he wants someone watching him, putting the discipline on that sort of stuff. The Rat Pack had a fair leash in terms of what they could do and they'd always take it to the limit, but he had the limit set at a point where, yep, we can go out and do stuff that maybe others can't, but we can't go too far. We'll get in trouble. So... I think yeah, the greatest team of our modern era, the Richmond Footy Club. Do you see these traits with Damien Hardwick and his players? Do you feel like he's kind of got robots or do you think he allows more character and he allows guys to play up? Or what are your thoughts on that? Oh, there's certain, well, there's characters down there. Uh, Jack Rewalt's a little bit, not so much outspoken, but he does a fair bit of media, gets his name out there, had the had a media self-imposed media ban when he did that runner training and ran off and jumped the fence out the back. Uh, Dusty doesn't speak yeah. to the media at all, um, which... Botchen's too plain cut. And it's, uh, you know, he's lovely, but he's just, he's Mr. Perfect. Mr. Company man gives you the straight answers. Uh, Higgins, who's obviously left, he had a lot of personality as, as a youngster. Uh, Rance was always an in- interesting cat. He's obviously now retired. Uh, That's a good point. Like a Mormon in the mix and, you know, to be able to manage that. That is a, it's a very different personality from the rest of the footy club. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I Look, I'd say Richmond have managed to get the right mix. And one thing I think they've done so well is they've got speed across the ground and everyone in that side plays a role. And I don't think they have necessarily a lot of really talented footballers, but they all buy in and play a role. And I think Hardwick, he, I think he's a great communicator with his players. And I, I think that's enabled him to get through to them all. And I think that's why this was a big, this breakup with his wife of so long. And he used to mention her in the press conferences a lot, Mrs. Hardwick. Mm-hmm. I think that's why it was a big deal and why he had to address it with his players rather than treating it as a, 
yeah, look, I've had that happen in my personal life. I'm not going to worry about it. It doesn't affect what happens here at the club. Um, I think he had to address it to sort of keep the buy-in from his from his players. But there are certainly look in terms of personalities, there are a few down there, but there there aren't many, and Richmond aren't alone in that. Yeah, I think that's a real real toll of the coronavirus with you know a lot of clubs just that extended time away, the stress of AFL football. Um, the pressures, uh, you know, just life throws you all these different things. I'm not excusing anything there, but I just, I, I, I think we really need to take stock of the sacrifices that all these clubs gave and all these players and coaches and staff, peripheral staff, you know, it, it really um, put strain on their personal lives, which, which has led to different different things coming out. Yeah, and in this media cycle of 24-7, footy, 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 more's come out than what it probably had to. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, my private life, but now we've got to have some show on Monday, so apparently your public life's out and out. That's, it's really sad, but the world we live in. 100%. Now, I want to ask, how are the Eagles going to go this year? I can't see how we lose it. I really, I really can't. I lose the flag you know, or lose people. a game or no, the flag. Um, you'll cut this out, but no, look, in fairness, I had a look at the odds recently. Uh, Richmond out and out favorites. Um, I think we're about fifth favorite, I think we're about eight to one, but we play a different style of footy. We, we play a style of um, where the kicking precision is more skillful footy. And the AFL is trying to rule that game play back in rather than that pressure play, you know. So I think it's much like 2005, 2006 when the AFL had this untouchables list and Daniel Kirk, Chris Jard, Ben Cousins got free kick paid because the AFL wanted to promote that skillful play. Apart from Sydney's negating play, I, I feel like we're going through that same cycle again. Um, and I don't know, like if we can click together and... I feel the AFL, the umpiring is going to be, you know, more in our favour. I think I read a, a stat somewhere today, like between 2012 and 2020, West Coast has received the most free kicks. Not because we stage it, it's because we play a different style. We try and play clean cut, you know, rather than that pressure negating. And I do believe the AFL tries to reward it. So, I don't know. That's, that's my answer. I, I think we can win it. We should win it. Uh, well, no, not we should, but I, I think we can win it. And I think that a lot of people overlook that the AFL is actually going to be ruling in our advantage as well. So all I heard then was West Coast $9, get on. Yeah, look, I'm always bullish this time of year, but I mean, we should have won <laughs> last year. But Yeah, look, yeah. I think every team has the right to be bullish at this time of year. Yeah. That's I- the best thing is that like, we're three weeks out. We're three weeks out. It's like, it's like it's it's like Turnbull Stakes Day, Seb. It's like we're about to hit into the Caulfield Guineas, Caulfield Cup, Cox Plate, everything. It's all out there. All the all the glory is out there to be won, and you have no reason not to believe. Like I think you and I both have um, some relatives um, in common who are Essendon, and they're just bullish every year. Like for the last twenty years, they've been telling me we're going to win the grand final this year. We're going to win the grand final this year, and then what? It's been six thousand days since they won a final. But it's yeah, it's a wonderful time of year. This time of year, it it is, and I can tell you they're bullish right now. I spoke to one the other day, and he, he gave me. I've, I've 
actually asked him to come on. I've been trying to get him on to talk about this exact thing, but he's very bullish believing they can make the eight and anything's possible once you do that. And would be would this be the type of fellow who would tell you that there's five all Australians in that Essendon team? Like yep. this year? Yep. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Now look, I had a look at the odds. Um North Melbourne are out and out favourites for the wooden spoon. Are you bullish about do you think you can make the top eight this year? No. My heart says we can, but my head is telling me you're mad. Your answer's no. You need two, three years we can. One year. We need one year. One year. Well, see, I'm modelling this a little bit on the Chris Fagan Brisbane thing where they have one year under Fagan. They lost a lot of close games. They learnt a lot. Then they won 14 games, played two finals, lost them both. Obviously, last year went to a prelim. Why why do we have to set ourselves to a two- to three-year plan and then we'll play finals and then we'll win a flag? It might take us that long to win the flag, but look, if you can get your list right, playing good footy, you've just got to believe that you can win the 12, 13 games to get into the finals and you should be going for it. And teams that accept, oh, we need another year to rebuild. We need another year to rebuild. The teams that accept that with the same coach, two, three, four years in a row, are the teams that sit at the bottom for extended periods. And we all know. I think North Melbourne is a classic example of the right leadership and the wrong leadership. You had the right leadership in Brad Scott, who it was the right time for him to leave. But you were a really pushing finals team. And then all of a sudden, you're like not even in the competition at all. I think culturally, leadership wise, if you get it right, people their performance goes from 90% to 95% or whatever it is, but that three or 4% difference is, is games is games of footy is like four or five wins for a season. Yeah. I I couldn't agree more with that point. Uh, Clubs tend to, sometimes they expect quick fixes and sometimes they're happy to let the process go and, and let sort of everyone work through the process. But if you've got the right pieces in place, and the right, I was going to say culture. I feel like there should be a better word than culture because often the culture is it leadership. Is, yeah, like or is it's, it culture. It's, is, it, is it? Well, I think culture gets thrown in, but it's really leadership starting from the top, which is coaching captain, and then it falls down to the rest. Um, but I think if those things are right, then your team. There's no reason you can't jump up the ladder and win enough games to to play in the eight. And then go to top four. Like, I think too often teams accept, they know that the media is, especially with North, it feels like the media is going to downplay us. And so we can accept sitting down the, the bottom of the ladder for a couple of years. Whereas just because that expectation seems to be set doesn't mean you should accept it as a club. And like, can say for a fact, North can't afford to sit down there. If we're not winning games, we don't get money coming in the mm. door. And that's really important for our club. Um, I remember the 90s, we had to try and win the preseason cup because it came with a 100 or 200 grand bonus. <laughs> that's right. And so we had to actually go out hard and win it. We won a couple. I think we beat the Saints in 98. Uh, but it, it, you know, other teams 
haven't had that necessity. But look, I wouldn't say I'm bullish on our chances this year. I think with such a young side, we're just going to be so inconsistent that we might play three good calls of footy against one of the better sides and they're just going to be able to kick a six or seven goal burst in the last quarter and get out ahead. And then we're going to play potentially one of the bottom sides and still struggle because we're just we're just not, all, not quite there yet. Uh, like I know we play Essendon twice and, you know, I could see us losing both of those games and people tip Essendon to sort of be bottom half of the ladder. If you drop two to another team in the bottom half of the ladder, you're going to be in the bottom half of the bottom half of the ladder. So I wouldn't say I'm bullish, but uh, I think we've got a lot of young kids in there. Give them a year under the new coach. Let's get the systems in place. And then I think we can start doing some damage. Talking about leadership, you know, uh, what are your thoughts on dual captains, dual captaincy in a footy club? Um, I just think, like, I'd throw out that all the successful clubs like the Hawthorne, the Longs, the Richmond's have had one captain. You know, admittedly, there was a Sam Mitchell, Luke Hodge changeover, but but it was one. And, um, you know, my club's had one cat. I think last time we had dual captains was Ben Cousins and Glenn Dakovich when Glenn Dakovich was retiring and Ben Cousins was probably third or fourth year up and comer. But I just felt that, like, dual captaincy really seems to me like team rebuilding. It seems to be a popular thing with a lot of teams, though. I hate it. And you have one captain. You have, you know, you got a ship, you got one captain of the ship. You don't have two. Right, you. Well, I was going to say flying an aeroplane, but often they have a they have co-pilots, but you still have one captain of the plane. You need one leader at a footy club, one voice. You can have a vice captain. You can have two, two vice captains. I think any more than that, which is now the new leadership group, is just a fluff. Oh, we're going to put him in a leadership. He's in a leadership group. You know, just a little fluff title. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, there should be one voice being the captain. Um, one vice captain, one deputy vice captain, just have the three there because obviously your captain may miss a game here or there. But you're right. Most of the, not most, all of the successful clubs have had one captain, Tom Harley, Cameron Ling. Well, obviously when Harley Can you think retired. of one premiership team that's had dual captains? Sydney in 2005. They got Barry Hall and Brett Kirk. That's when they played that really disgusting, negating type of football that cost West Coast a grand final. Yeah, yeah, that's one way to put it. Uh, I'm just trying to think. Port Wooden and Brisbane had Voss. Uh, I can't think of any others unless I'm missing one. I don't think Sydney... I know Sydney had an era where they had a lot of... Not so much change, but they had sort of a, a rotating captain sort of thing going on. I'm just wondering in 2012 if they had a different captain, but no, no, to, to answer your question, no, very, I think that Sydney team would be the only example. Uh, mm. And to bring it up, St Kilda are a great example of this right now because they've named Jack Steele the co-captain with Jaron Geary. Now, Geary's out for the first part of the season. So, Steele will be captaining the side on his own for that stretch. Obviously, Geary's on his way out. You know, it's a 2007 rookie draft. He's, why wouldn't you just make Steele the captain now with 
Yeah. Geary, yeah. Geary doesn't need a leadership role or title to be a leader at that football club anymore. He can walk through those doors. It's Jaron Geary. He was captain. Like he's captain for years. He's, you know, he, what he does, I'll follow, you know, so mm. long as he's yeah. following the lead yeah. of the current captain, you don't need the titles. And, and if you ever find a player who wants a leadership role title, I would be questioning why they want it. Do they want it? So people think they're a leader because leaders aren't, you're not given leadership. You have to show leadership and, his footy clubs want to have five or six leadership groups. They have meetings. There was a player. I'm just. There was a player talking about this recently, and was it Adam Cooney down at the Dogs? Like the leadership group got together and he, he'd done something wrong, and they, I can't remember if it was Cooney or not. But he basically said, "All oh, right, so you just all sat in a room and talked about me, and now you're coming to tell me what you think." Like. <laughs> You can just come and talk to me. Like we're, we're people, we're humans. It's it, it it's not like you, you. It's not a two hundred person operation where you're going to have a captain and then different people leading divisions. Like yeah. you have one captain, you'll have a senior player in the forward line, a senior player in the back line if they're not captain, and they'll sort of help run those parts of the field. But dual captains, that I, I think it's lunacy for AFL clubs to have it. Uh, local level is a different story. I know we used to have rotating captains down there uh, in some of the the lower levels, but yeah, I, I can't see I can't see the positives, and I think the negatives of, of multiple voices and just not having a strong, consistent message far outweigh whatever positives you can have from having two captains. Um, and also, I know Grant Thomas had a thing where he did a rotating captain. And so I think Nick Rewalt captain in 04 and then they would have had Luke Ball and Lenny Hayes and everyone got their hand to, to be captain. And then Ross Lyon came in and no, Nick Rewalt's captain of this football club and he captains. I think he took, I think he got Danny for all his record in the end. Um, but yeah, to put it bluntly, I'm not a fan. Just, just as a disclaimer, I'm well aware that West Coast, when uh, Darren Class retired, had about eight weeks to go, and they put. I think they had four vice captains at the stage. They had each one of them be captain for the game. So I'm well aware of that. If anyone wants to get out and say, you know, you don't know what you're talking about, I am well aware of that. But I just do not believe that your captain works on any levels. And that, that's that's the tail end of a year trying to get yourself set for next year. Versus, all right, that's it's, the only, Feb- it's yeah. February. Uh, we, we can't quite pick between these two. The players like them both. We'll have two captains and then we'll just work it out from there. It it doesn't – yeah, in my experience, it doesn't work. What about the leadership group? Do you, nah. Waste three of time. Three people, five people, ten people? Captain, just... vice-captain, deputy vice. If you Back want to be straight. a leader, go and be a leader. You don't need – yeah, exactly. You don't need a label. You just You just be it. If you yeah. want to consult the playing group on, you know, player X has been caught drink driving, you want to go and consult the playing group and you're obviously not going to sit down and interview 43 other blokes to find out what they think. Captain, vice captain, find your two or three most senior people who typically form the leadership group. There's your consensus. You don't need to have a leadership group to, to go and work it out. Um, it, yeah. If I had a player who I wanted to groom for leadership, 
So, you know, he might be 21, 22. I think he could be a leader in, in three years. He could be the next captain of the club. Don't go and put a title on it. Just tell him to go and shadow the captain and just, oh, you know, he's going to go and do this media bit. Why don't you just go along and watch what they do on Captain's Day? Stuff like that. Like, don't go and put them in leadership group and then it's just, a, it's a drain. Oh, we've got a leadership group meeting. We're doing this, we're doing that. Uh, it all just becomes extra fluff to sort of make players feel better, I guess. All right. I think that about wraps us up for this week, Pat. Uh, appreciate your time coming on. Well, thank you very much. And uh, to everyone else, stay safe, stay well, and uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah, and go every time that's playing the bombers. Ha, 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 ha.